The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Machi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kwame. I must say that uh, it, it feels, feels very special because I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, and it has helped me on multiple occasions. So yeah, this is, this, is, this is something very special and I'm really glad to be here. Hey, it's our pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to have you. We've been chatting for a while now. We connected on LinkedIn. So listeners, when I tell you to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am, this is not an empty offer, okay? <laughs> so make sure you reach out. But yeah, so let's go ahead and get started by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, so... Um... Well, I, I, I'm a psychologist and I'm, I w- maybe do the best or the most accurate thing that I can call myself is, is psychologist in business because I'm not really a, a psycho organizational psychologist. I have graduated in psychology, uh, in, in organizational and clinical psychology, but I'm not a practicing psychologist. So this is, this is not my area of expertise. And maybe the, the, the path that I chose to, to take was uh, was really going to business and uh, to get to know this kind of environment and to have to to uh, enrich this um, enrich those business uh, the business decision or enrich this kind of environment with a psychological mindset so bring bring a bit of psychology into into business but not in the like coaching way or or in a consultant way but being on the front line but still with a with psychological mindset because I, I believe that there are lots of things in psychology, lots of concepts that businesses can learn from or benefit from. So yes, this is, this is what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm simply put right now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working in procurement. I have been working in, in a supply chain in Procter & Gamble. And uh, I've been before I've been, I, I, I had worked for IT company. So I've been both on both sides on the sales side of things and on procurement side of things. And I have seen that it materialized, so to say, in supply chain. So, so this, this, is my, this is my background. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's an impressive background because I really like how you've been able to marry psychology with what you're doing in the business world because you're negotiating high-level contracts and before you were selling um, high-level contracts as well. So you've been on both sides and you have the the psychological background too. And um, I'm really excited to have this this nerdy moment with you because (laughs) my my undergrad degree is in psychology too. And so I, I love getting deep into that. Uh, and, and figuring out how 
what we the way that we see the world mm-hmm. and these various cognitive processes impact our decision making and our ability to persuade. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And so yes. let's let's start off by just talking about the benefit of psychology in business as it relates to negotiation. Um, what sure. have you seen? So to me, it is like I, I was talking uh, when I was introducing myself, I was talking about the psychology in business. And to me, that's so underestimated. I think that it is puzzling to me that so many bright people, like when, when I see people negotiating and people who are in procurement or in sales, there are hundreds or thousands of bright people. They are, they are very intelligent. They are motivated. But a vast majority just thinks about the, the techniques, about the, you know, the, how, how they, or they, they prepare to negotiations. They read a lot. They, they try to be better and better but they still often skip a very important or to my to my understanding the most important part of it which is training your thinking and that thinking is not only something that uh, you are bo- like you the, you have you have a brain that you were born with and you have just you know uh, some so, sort of certain level of IQ it is a skill to be learned and to be polished so i think this is something that is is not uh, realized to the extent that it should especially in negotiations. So when we, we think about, you know, uh, how, to, how to be better and using our gestures, about using our nonverbal communication, how to keep the right level of eye contact and so on. And then you realize that you didn't do, that you didn't, uh, you don't even, you might not have the proper foundation for that because you, uh, like if you choose to, to go with the metaphor of a war or a battle, then you might say that you have invested, invested in, in banners, in, uh, in a weapon, and, 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 but you are just giving all of that to, to, you know, to raw recruits, to people who don't know what to do with it. So if, you, if your brain, if you have got all the skills, but your brain doesn't function or your brain doesn't realize it does mistakes and doesn't learn, then you are still an army of recruits and your lines are going to crumble and certain and certain and certain point in time so you are you are left with nothing but banners and with nothing but uh, but you know very fancy equipment which cannot do any harm so that's that's why i think it's it's so crucial to 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 bring the psychological mindset into negotiations yeah Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. You're spot on, spot on. And you're right. I think a lot of times we focus so much on the tactics, what we should do, but we don't think about how we think. That whole metacognition um, that, that comes into play, right? Just for ourselves and then understanding other people as well. It is, it is fascinating to me. And I think that we can learn a lot, of inf- a lot in fact, from uh, psychotherapists. Like if you... If you, if you think about negotiations then then this is something that uh, uh that excites you that's something that you are emotional emotionally very engaged so you should be the even more cautious in this situation because you are so emotionally tight and so emotional uh, so excited about it so you know that this this is something meaningful to you so in case of psych- psychotherapy you, you have this kind of uh, supervision or something like that or, or you try to have this kind of meta level that you are looking at yourself, so say, say from outside and analyzing your own behavior. And I think that we are sometimes in negotiation losing this kind of uh, point of view that you are not using this meta level to analyze your own negotiations, which I think brings huge benefits. 
Absolutely. And, and so for our listeners, uh, I know the, the big question that they want to ask is, how do we make our deals better? And so when it comes to the different uh, cognitive biases that might negatively impact our, uh, our outcomes in these negotiations, um, what do you think comes into play when we are regularly entering into bad deals? Well, I, I think in, in general, it is good to understand that this is, this, our errors are not uh, errors in every context. They are not errors just in general. They are so, sort of a byproduct. So when, uh, when you think about our own thinking and about our own mind, you might, uh, you, might you as, a, as, an under, as, a, as, a, as you have graduated in psychology, then you might recall Kahneman and the system one and system two idea. So, uh, so that our minds in, in general uses two different ways of processing information. And the first one, the system one, is something that we might call the, I really like the phrase in, in, in American or in, in English, because I think it transfers the meaning, in the meaning, so that the gut feeling, and I think that really, really well illustrates what the system one is. It is very emotional, it is, it is fast, it's very responsive, so you you can quickly make a decision. You can you can quickly you know when if you were uh, if you were uh, running away from from a lion, then the system one would be the one that would uh, make it possible, right? So this is this is the tool that you would use. And on the other hand, we have the system two, and system two is the something that is much more logical. It it enable enables us to explore things to solve complex problems. Uh, the the problem is that we are often using the system one when we should really be using system two. And because of the fact that our environment changed so much from the evolutionary days, evolutionary era, or our evolutionary environment, well, where we were uh, being chased by lions, it's changed so much. You are right now surrounded by you know, skyscrapers and so on. And you, you are in this complex, complex civilization with these complex behaviors. So, this environment demands from you more and more using the system two instead of system one. But because of the fact that system one is so fast, so fast, it's so energy efficient, it is so it feels good to use it. Simple, simply put. So then you are just reverting back to the system one. Uh, and and maybe just as a background, it is important to understand that the, the the heuristics that we are using, so the mental shortcuts that we are using to to process the world in a in an easier way, they are not bad per se. They are not bad as a general in general because they they made you survive, but they are bad in a certain context. And negotiations is the context where we should be using system two because this is like solving a complex problem. Exactly that. So uh, in case in case of entering, <laughs> that was a long way. That was a long introduction to the to the to answering your question. But I think that what makes us enter the the, the deals, the, the unprofitable deals, is the is the confirmation by or is is the sunk is the sunk cost fallacy. And let me explain why. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. 
our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So uh, when you think of negotiations, the negotiations is often the, the last step of a very long process. So it is not that you are just going into negotiations and, you know, this is the moment where you learn about everything and so on. And that, no, this is not the case. Negotiations may often be, you know, few hours of a few months process. So when you think, when you think about that, that before those negotiations, what happened is that procurement has been preparing for a very long time. They have been drafting the RFX strategy. They have been drafting contracts. They have been consulting lawyers. They have been consulting their stakeholders. They have invested a lot of time, energy, and money into making this process right. And the same happened on the second side of the deal. So when you think about sales people or the sales, sales reps or, or key account managers, whoever, whoever is negotiating the deals from the sales point of view, then those guys have been preparing to nail this deal for a very long time. They, they, they were preparing the bids, they were preparing offers, they have some, some like marketing agencies might, might have been preparing mock-ups and so on. So again, those people have invested a lot to make this happen. And then when you, come to the negotiations, you are, you know, at the, at the end of this very long process and you are under huge pressure to strike the deal. You, you are under huge pressure from your stakeholders, under huge pressure from your, you might be under a huge pressure from your company to make this work out, to, you know, to have the return on investment. You have invested a lot and now everybody wants that to pay off. To, to pay off. So nobody wants just to say like, okay, we have just spent few hundred thousand dollars on, on, on nothing to, to, to learn that we could have done something different. Nobody wants to say that. So in this case, we just follow along and we sometimes, you know, sign our own death sentence because we are under so, so much pressure or we just don't see any, we, f- we fail to see different options because we are so tied to the costs that we have already paid. Right. It makes a lot of sense. And I think this is something that we all fall victim to in not just in negotiations, but in general, in in all aspects of our life. I think, I think it is, I, I, that's what I think. That's, that's great that you asked about it. And I can answer uh, that that, uh, we are talking about the confirmation bias about about the, or the sunk cost fallacy about the, in, in the beginning, because I think that it is, it is one of the things that even the big corporate businesses are prone to. I, uh, you, you, might, you might think about the you know, different biases that you have 
uh, that you know if you are a consumer you are more more uh, it is more probable that you are uh, fall prey to them because you are not prepared in this way but in this case i think that both consumers and the corporate like even corporate businesses they are all equally uh, all equally likely to enter this kind of bad bad deals for this reason right it makes sense it makes a lot of sense yeah and and it's unfortunate too because you, people really 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 want to feel as though there's going to be a payoff for the work that they did yes yes that's, that's and, the thing it, it's it's an emotional thing it's like you said we, we have that gut feeling and that gut feeling says don't lose what you did and it's, it's fear of loss that keeps us in those deals it's it's so funny that you that you mentioned that it's not only negotiations because i think that like even overeating may be may be a, a, a good uh, example of that so when we commit to a given behavior then we are just we we are as you know uh, failing to see any other options that we are not leaving this food on the table we are just no we are going to finish it so it is it is in a sort of sort of way funny but it has very bad consequences in all all ways so yeah i i think that we should also uh, learn from the project management from the guys in project management you know and think of that of that process negotiation processes also in the project management way because there the alternative cost and all the all the facts that are with the uh, weighing the options they are much more they are pretty structured so we can also learn from project management because they are all they are they are talking much more about the sunk cost fallacy they are more willing to consider that as a factor in their uh, in their daily life and so I, I think that in negotiations we we sometimes think of it as a, as of an art and we might fail to you know put some structure on it makes sense and and what do you think about the the impact of confirmation bias on these deals as well yeah so so i think that when if if we say that the the sunk cost fallacy makes you enter a bad deal then confirmation bias makes you stay in this deal and not uh, instead of exiting it so obviously apart from very bad uh, like um, exclusivity exclusivity paragraphs or something like that or or very bad termination clauses apart from that a very big reason is confirmation bias because if you believe in something like for example let's say that i am i am a i am a buyer and i think that this kind of uh, an structured rfx like structured auction let's say auction or reverse auction is the best way to to get the 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 right product or deliver the right value to the company then i might be unconsciously gathering and interpreting and you know looking for the information that will confirm my choice so if i have chosen a supplier from because i was using certain my certain beliefs about the the procurement process and this this choice is a result of this of this process then i might be you know looking for measures of say supplier performance or uh, how i value the deal i am looking for the measures that will be that will confirm it and the same goes for for sales if you, if your core belief as a sales rep is that i must have big clients i must have big customers i'm i'm aiming for for big names like i want to have this corporation in my portfolio then you might be unconsciously picking the the measures or the ways to to confirm your belief like if and that's why you have the you first have the sourcing 
when in, in the in the sunk cost fallacy you go with the wrong deal then in contract management or the in the in the account management you might say you you are picking the measures that will confirm that you have made the right choice in sourcing or you have picked or you have won the right customer in the first phase so it is like a vicious cycle you might be repeating this model forever and you are you know you you might be entering a bad deal then assessing the bad deal with measures that will confirm that this is a good deal and then you enter it again as long as your company has money you can do that but you know it's not not very profit not very profitable so i i think that they create a, a perfect couple so to say the sankos for us you have confirmation bias yeah a, a very dysfunctional couple <laughs> as <laughs> as a, it relates that's definitely a relationship that you don't want to be a part of <laughs> exactly well i think i think relationships are a great example of both of them right of both of those yes, biases yes because yes, a lot of times true. we end up in in relationships that we should have exited a long time ago that's true but we that's say true. we invested two years into this person then i'm, I'm not going to let yes. it go that's 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 so true and i think that it also uh, <clears throat> it, it also illustrates that you know the first thing that is that you don't want this, to take this cost but you are also not you also know that you are going to take this cost you are you will have to accommodate this cost if you are going to you know meet and uh, uh, another person and you are going to be in another relationship so it's like double losing losing twice so to say because you first have to you know sunk all this you you think about all this cost that you have already uh, incurred and then you think that oh my god i'm going to do it again so <laughs> <laughs> right i'd say it's it's a double trouble yeah it's it's a tough situation and um i i really like the point that you made when it came to confirmation bias because with confirmation bias it impacts not only what we see but also what we look for and so yes. for instance if you're doing due diligence on a company that you want to do business with you will look for positive articles about this yes. business you're not going to say um abc corp bad you're going to google abc corp good and it, it skews the information that you see so it's not mm -hmm. even just the fact that you're you're not processing it the right way but you're even cherry picking the information that you allow your yes. brain to process yes and I, I think it's important just to highlight the fact that it's not something that somebody is doing something uh, that somebody is performing those actions doing something wrong they are not they, this is this might be totally unconscious this is not about people doing wrong things this is a separate thing that people maybe maybe they, there might be fraudulent behaviors in a company or people just want to you know get a promotion and just uh, make sure that their superiors think of their deals as the best ones but this is totally separate this is about tricking your own brain so you are tricking your own brain into thinking that you have done the right thing when you when in fact you have done something that's not to your advantage exactly this is great well perfect well let's move on to the next one um, where we talk about negotiation and information and so something i always say on the podcast is negotiation is an information game yeah. we want to learn as much as we can and so you have a very interesting take on on that concept so i wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that too yeah and that's that's true that, that you talk about it a lot and i, I remember i i really recall how the, the episodes that that you you were mentioning it and i thought that that well that's that's insightful that's that's that's, that's something that's something that sometimes seems so obvious but we still forget about it that we just love to talk and love to give our 
uh, our knowledge to, to people who we are trying to win the negotiations with or like and so we are still still falling prey to that but i think that it is um, as you mentioned the information in there there is a there is a, there are situations in which gathering more information may be to your disadvantage so this is something that's called information bias so i think it is uh, the, 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 like the point that I want to make is that if you are gathering lots of information that you are trying to have a very, uh, very good grasp of every, uh, every subject that you are negotiating on, that you are, you are trying, so to say, become an expert in things, uh, that you are trying to comprehend all the, all, all the, uh, all the knowledge that the other party has, and you are trying to become expert yourself. You, are, you might become overwhelmed with this information. So this can, all, this can also be, uh, <clears throat> so our cognitive resources are limited and uh, they, 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 uh, they cannot be expanded forever. So if you, if you think about this, getting all this information or comprehending all this information, you, are, you, you simply may end up in a stalemate, in a stalemate because you will, you will you, your brain will no longer be able to make use of this information. So information is good as long as your brain can do something with it. When, when you have the amount of information that prevents you from, from actioning for taking the decision, it is actually a very bad thing. And I think it is especially important in cases when you are negotiating something that's not of a high value to you, that's something that uh, is not, you know, like, when, when you are not buying a house, but you are buying a, um, a chair and you are trying to become an expert you know, you know, in buying a chair, you might think that everything, you might say that everything is a chance for negotiations, but I think that for the sake of sanity, you have to very carefully pick what you are negotiating and in, in which cases exactly you want to become an expert and gather more information. And I think that a good way of thinking about this, about this information overload, or this information bias that more information is always better, is that how much can you gain by gathering more information? And is this gain more than what you are losing on doing this, re this research? So you have this kind of balance. I'm doing, I'm wasting, or I'm investing my time in research. So this, this uh, takes time, takes my time, you know, my, if you say time is money, then obviously this this have a very this has a certain cost to it. And on the other hand, you have certain gains that you can you can get from from you know gathering more information. And sometimes, like when you are picking a hotel, for example, you might say that you know investing two days or three days into look into looking for a hotel that will be marginally better than the one that you would have picked in two minutes is just a pure waste of time. Right. You're spot on. You're spot on. And the, the term that comes to mind for me is satisficing. So the blending of uh, yeah. satisfaction and sufficing, like this is yeah. enough. And it's really yes. hard to do. And I think a lot of times our over uh, our, our over um, indulgence in information mm -hmm. comes from fear. And a lot of times we procrastinate through information mm -hmm. gathering. And uh, one of the things I've started to do is set a shot clock for me. So that's a term from basketball. So, you know, you have 24 seconds to shoot a, shoot a basketball in, uh, in basketball. And so I say, okay, 
in order for me to prepare for this negotiation, I need to put a cap on it. So I'm only going to prepare for 90 minutes and I'm going to mm-hmm. set a timer on my phone and wherever I am, I'm done. And so for me, especially when I was practicing a lot as a, as a mm-hmm. business lawyer, I have to be mindful of the clock too, because I can't just waste the whole retainer on preparing and then tell my client, hey, I just blew through thousands of dollars doing some Google research, but hey, I'm really prepared. And if you pay me more, <laughs> I'll, be actually, I'll actually be able to perform <laughs> by that like, time. Like, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm getting a new lawyer. So yeah, I think that's a that's a really great point. And so when it comes to recognizing that that potential limit, what are some things that they should keep in mind when it comes to understanding when you know enough? I, I think that um what I me- what I mentioned that weighing the potential benefit of the deal versus the potential loss of the time that you that you are dealing with. That's that that pretty much this balance between the gains and losses can give you a, a, a good uh, a good grasp of whether you are on track. And the problem the problem with the problem with that is that people often don't think of their own time in terms of resources. So this this might be you know that that I'm looking for something and you know I might be looking for something for two days and if I if I save on it two dollars well I can be proud of myself because I have saved two dollars but yeah okay but you you could have you know earned two hundred dollars in this time so you are not, you have not uh, this was not a great deal but but I think that this is this is the the main culprit so to say so th- this is the problem that people don't think of their time as they would have been thinking about money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you're spot on. And then uh, just for the interest of time, I want to move on to the the next one, which is which is really interesting. And um, it's called the incentive super response uh, bias. So can you tell us about that? I, I, I yes, sure. This is a very sophisticated name for something very simple. But but uh, that's uh, that's that's something that I, I really uh, enjoy talking about because I think this is a big big problem in in uh, in sometimes in procurement or for wh- it is a problem for whoever who tries to be excessively objective. So if we are looking for and very objective measures of some things, um, of some things like for example we are trying to break everything down into hourly rates, we might end up with sub suboptimal results to say the least. So uh, I, this this originated from my conversation with a, with a marketing manager, like my cousin is marketing manager, and I've been talking to him about you know how procurement hates marketing and how marketing hates procurement because they are trying to do the other, the, you know they are trying to do the reverse. So in procurement, you might be laughing, you know, that they are willing to that marketing might be willing to pay everything and just disregard all the kind of you know terms and conditions for the sake of a premium feel. And on the other hand, that uh, you, marketing guys might think, you know, that procurement is just uh, lacking the the imagination to to understand the, the you know this idea that they have in mind. And I think that what procurement sometimes tries to do is to to be very objective and try to put very objective measures. Like in case of marketing agency, you try you you might ask for hourly rates. So you try to have a grid a grid with hourly rates of marketing. Obviously, this is not normally the only, uh, the only um, factor. 
was looking for a word for too long. Sorry. This <laughs> <So, laughs> obviously is normally not the only factor, but still we are we are very drawn to look for something that looks like apples to apples. We are look, looking for something that we can compare between. So if you are doing that, you might you have to be very careful because by doing that, you might be incentivizing the wrong behavior. So in 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 to in a nutshell, you might be you are actually paying for what you are looking for. So you are just getting more of what you have paid for. So if you are paying for the hour, you will get more hours. So this is this is something that is very easy to to understand, but it still happens. And if you think that you are you you know you in this for example tier of a marketing director or let's say marketing manager, you are paying less and you are well. I'm great, I have chosen the best agency, they can deliver all that, and they have the best hourly rates. And then you will, you, you will see a very, very long hours that they have worked on it for a long hours for some reason. So the invoice might still be same, you might not have, you might not gain anything, but, the, but you're, except from, from your own feeling, you know, being objective. So to keep, What's important to keep in mind is to incentivize the things that you are looking for and not, you know, some kind of byproduct of that. That's really interesting. It, and it makes a lot of sense. And especially uh, for me as a lawyer, we, we see this uh, when you're when you're paying your lawyer by hour, the, sometimes the retainer just magically seems to That's disappear, true. you know. <laughs> um, and so it's a it's a tough situation. Um, I, and to clarify, I am not talking about me. I know in the interest <laughs> in, in the industry in general that has occurred. <laughs> and sure. so but I, I think it's really important. To, to keep those things in mind. And I, I love the example that you gave because it's not just with our external types of negotiations. It's also internal with the people that we work yes. with. We want to incentivize people properly. And um, a lot of times we don't put enough thought into what the incentives we're utilizing uh, yes. could end up creating. And I, I think a, a great uh, resource for people on this is anything written by Dan Ariely, uh, yes, the behavioral yes, economist. So. <laughs> it's really interesting talking about how sometimes the, the very things that we are seeking to incentivize are actually diminished by our endeavors. Mm-hmm. So I, I, this, I think that's, a, first of all, new term for most people, the incentive super response um, uh, bias. And I think it's, it's very informative too. And I know we're, we're coming up on time here. So before we go, um, I want to give you an opportunity to, to leave the audience with a little bit of advice based on everything that we talked about today. What are some key things that they can take home in order to improve their, their negotiation outcomes? Sure. I, I think it's a very valid point to have something a bit more general as an advice, because we have been talking about very specific cases. But if you look for, for the cognitive biases, there are hundreds of them or the hundreds of fallacies. So you might be lost what you should be, what you should be doing. And I think that two, gen, two very general, two, two things that apply, are, are applicable, applicable to almost all biases is first of all, to look at your resources. So, you should be looking at what you might be missing. So which resources I might be missing in negotiations. So am I missing time? Do I have enough time? Did, like, uh, am, am, am I missing expertise? Am I like, because I, I'm just trying to make a decision and I really don't have enough knowledge to do that. Or, uh, you know, 
am I missing any other kind of resource? So you might you might think about very specific about very specific cases like if you if you do you really want to call instead of mailing or do you really want to pick up the phone because then you might have less time and are you prepared to do that? So you might think how prone you are to certain certain errors to certain problems with your thinking in terms of those resources that are scarce. And the other the other part of it, so first first of all, look at your resources and pay attention to the ones that might be scarce. On the other hand, you should be looking at the part like if you if you divide the the thinking process or or your decision process into two very big very like general stages, you might first of all look at what what uh, presents to me as an available option. And then you might look at how am I judging those options. So even something as easy as that, as you know, separating, separating those two stages can be very beneficial. That if you, if you even ask yourself this question that, am I missing something? Is it, is it possible that I have not been taking into consideration some option which deserves my attention? And then, when you go to the later stage, am I giving equal opportunity for these alternatives? You know, to, am I giving them, them enough uh, time? Am I am I giving them, them enough attention? So yeah, I, I think this is this is obviously very generic, and you might go into more detail when you think about specific uh, biases. But I think those two are applicable almost everywhere. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I think that's a, the, a great place to end because again, we're, we're encouraging self-awareness uh, yeah. to recognize that there is actually something to think about because that's the biggest problem when it comes to these, these logical fallacies is that we're not aware that they're occurring. Yeah. We think we're thinking appropriately. And so just becoming more aware of them can help us to, to take uh, take notice of our cognitive processes to make sure that we're mm -hmm. we're doing the right thing. So that's true. I I appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun, Maciej. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and um, we're looking forward to have you back uh, very soon. I'm really glad that uh, that uh, I could I, I have joined, and I'm really glad that you have invited me. It was really a pleasure to speak to a fellow psychologist about <laughs> negotiations. So. Likewise, my Thank friend. You. Thank you very much. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.